Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, there, are Bibles, there are Bibles on the uh, welcome table where you first came in if you need to grab one. The Bible, uh, sorry, our church app has the Bible app embedded into it. You can access the Bible through our church app as well if you don't have it on your phone. Josh Hughes gave a great word last week. If you missed that, Jesus in our storms, man, go back, listen to that. So, so good. Uh, Church app has it, website, podcast, um, such a good word. But this morning, we're going to kind of ease our way, we're easing our way back in to our study through the book of Ephesians. And today, we're going to be looking at part one of a study I've titled, The Household of God. Our starting verse is going to be Ephesians 2.19. We're going to be in a few different passages of Scripture this morning, but we're going to start and read uh, Ephesians 2.19-22. So Paul writing, he says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now these believers, if you've been trekking with us through our studies in Ephesians, um, this this was some really cool stuff for them to hear because Paul had just gotten done saying, you were without Christ, you were without hope, you were were without the covenants and promises, like all the stuff you didn't have before Jesus saved you has all been radically changed now because of Jesus Christ himself, the one who came and preached peace, the one who came and brought us near. And so now he's following that up going, guys, all the stuff that we weren't, Let's focus on now what we are. We're all members together. We've been saved by the blood of Jesus. We've been made members together, made part of the household, the family of God. We belong to him. And part of that means that we belong to his church. And not only this was this an encouraging word for the believers in Paul's day, it's still an encouraging word for us in our day, that we're a part of the same household of God that the Ephesian believers in Paul's day were members of. And this just reminds us right away, guys, we belong, if we're in Christ, we belong, no matter what you felt in your past, no matter matter what you feel presently, we belong, we're wanted, We're accepted. We've been united together as one in Christ Jesus. And we have a place in God's house, his church, his family. And all all of that is amazing. Now, I said we're easing our way back into our study of Ephesians, right? So we're not digging into these verses expositionally today. We're going to do that next week. I want to take a different approach this morning in regards to this subject of the household of God, focusing in on how God's household, his church, needs to be cared for by called, appointed, 
anointed men, elders, overseers, pastors, shepherds, whatever term you want to use, who God raises up to take care of his household, his church, his people, and also see how God's doing that here at Calvary Chapel Walnut Creek. Now, while Paul doesn't specifically address the church elders or leaders here in this passage, we know that they're uh, in the church of Ephesus, there were elders who were recognized within the church, men who likely had been discipled by Paul in his three years of ministry in Ephesus, who kept leading, kept serving, kept shepherding the flock after God had moved Paul on from his three years at Ephesus. But these elders had been charged by Paul to lead God's household well in the role that he had called them to. We see this in what Paul shared with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, just a handful of years before writing this letter that we've been studying. Uh, Look at what Paul wrote to the Ephesian elders. We're just going to look at a little portion of it. Acts 20 verses 28 through 32. Paul said to the Ephesian elders, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I just picture the Ephesian elders as Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter two and he's talking about the household of God. Just immediately in their minds, there's this greater attunement to what it means to be part of the household of God the calling of God upon their lives, what they're to be looking over, how they're to be seeing the flock and and what that might mean for them specifically as they kind of got this letter from Paul and they start to read it and they get to that point. You know, when you read something and all of a sudden there's something that just pops out to you and means something a little bit more to you than maybe someone else, I, 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 I get that sort of sense that the elders of the the Ephesian church would have that same sort of response when when they read Paul saying, look, we're members of the household of God and we're being fitted together and we're all being built together and they're just thinking like, yeah, God, and you have a role for us to care for these people. Paul, years earlier, giving them this charge that they had this responsibility, this calling, this role to be servant leaders in Jesus' church. And in that passage of Acts 20, Paul doesn't go into all the details of how to take heed to themselves, how to oversee and shepherd God's flock in Ephesus. So there, there must have already been sort of a combination of Paul teaching them some of those things when he was still ministering there in Ephesus for those three years and maybe a learning by example, no doubt, as they watched Paul's life, saw him uh, actively engaged. Paul earlier is saying like, gosh, guys, I was was going from house to house. Like I was in your homes. I was with you. 
And I shed tears. You saw that. You saw my care for you. And these elders learning from Paul's example, learning how to shepherd, how to oversee, how to be a spiritual leader. But since Paul doesn't give much insight here when it comes specifically to the calling and the role of shepherding or overseeing, being an elder in Jesus' church, I want to I want us to consider, again, with the household of God in mind, I want us to consider something that Paul, uh, Peter shared, actually, some years later in his first letter where he wrote to elders in Jesus' church so that we can gain a better understanding of the call and role of a spiritual elder in God's household and, and with that, a better understanding of the care of God for his household, his Church. And so with that, you can leave your place in Ephesians 2. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read the first four verses of that chapter. Feast, 1 Peter, feast Peter. Feast Peter chapter 5. Um, 1 Peter 5. So verse 1 says, The elders who are among you I exhort... I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Any of you have ever been to a church or had some sort of prior church experience and, and you read this and you're going, wow, I have not seen this done very well. You come out of maybe a church hurt. You had a church leader do something or fall into sin or disqualified or who knows what. And you're looking at this and you're going, Man, if only this had been true, if only this had been followed. And you think about the household of God, the kind of care that God has for his people is seen in passages like this. It's seen in what Paul shared with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. Shepherd, these people, Jesus purchased them with his own blood. So take care. Show extreme value. Peter here saying, don't be a Lord. Don't do it for dishonest gain. Like, don't do it because you're feeling forced into it. And I just, I love that the household of God is something that God himself cares for. And so when we come to a passage like this, we can come with all of our prior potential baggage but we need to know that God's heart is this. It's not your experience. Maybe not your bad experience, possibly, if that's you. This is God's design. This is God's desire. And this is the potential when, when people who are called by God actually follow the things that God has laid out for us in his word. Now, even though all of this is primarily a word to those in a specific role, of church leadership or elders specifically, there are things all of us can learn from this passage and apply 
in our own lives because each of us, to varying degrees, are called to lead others to Jesus Christ. Each of us have been given a, a sphere of influence, right? God has entrusted people to us, whether that's in our home, with our family, or it's in our neighborhood, or our, our circle of friends, or at work, or wherever. And he wants to use us to be witnesses, good examples of Christ, to shine forth the love and gospel of Jesus so that others are drawn to him through our lives and not driven away from him from our lives. But on top of all that, there's also a lot we can learn about our chief shepherd Jesus in this passage and the things elders are being called to in leading his flock. And so with all of that in mind, we're going to kind of uh, go through this here. Verse 1 again Peter says, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Peter begins by saying, the elders who are among you, I exhort. So as churches were planted and people within those churches were discipled, elders would eventually be raised up and appointed by the Lord in those various churches, because that's how God has designed his church to be led and cared for. And just so we're on the same page, that word elder does not refer to the young men who come to your door that have a badge, name tag that says elder so-and-so. That's not the reference, okay? Just so we're on the same page. That word elder, this is besides the, the Mormon church aspect of things. Those people need a saving knowledge of Jesus by his grace through faith. But this word elder had less to do with the age of a man and more to do with the spiritual maturity, the, the biblical qualifications that were met, and the, and the calling and anointing of God upon a, a man's life to serve Jesus' church in this specific Way because there's a lot of ways to serve Jesus, right? Not just the elders of the church. We need every part, every person fulfilling what God has for them. Also, the elder, the, the bishop or overseer, and the pastor or shepherd, all of which are titles or roles for church leaders found in this section of Peter's letter and in other parts of the New Testament, including what Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 28, are all terms that actually refer to the same office or role in the church. It's really interesting that over history or in the most more recent hundred, a couple hundred years, how uh, there's been denominational breaks that have happened um, that have come around because of how somebody views something like this, like the Presbyterian church. Well, we're the Presbyteros, Right? Or that this is the elder sort of dynamic. And, but it's like, but that word is the same word that's used here along with the word overseer, along with the word shepherd. So it's all the same person. We might give people different titles. Maybe you have people in a church that are an elder, not called a pastor, but it's the same, it's the same role. It's the same office in the church. Just like in uh, Paul in Acts 20, Peter is speaking to elders in Jesus' church, who he also notes 
are called to shepherd and be overseers in Jesus' church. So there was and there still is an expectation that in each local fellowship, there would be elders or bishops or pastors, whatever we call them, who met the qualifications laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Men who know and love Jesus are spiritually mature and have godly integrity, are called and appointed by the Spirit of God, and who are spirit-filled, spirit-led men whose lives are surrendered to and devoted to Jesus. What's interesting in finding these different titles here and in Acts 20, 28, is that they don't mention church structure or procedure or government. Usually that's the part that we want to focus on. What's the structure part? And God's like, let's deal with the character. I'm more concerned with that because if that stuff's in place, the other stuff can get worked out. I can lead in that. And so while there can be some flexibility and freedom in the things that God's word isn't clear about when it comes to church structure and government and procedure. What we're not to be flexible with are the things God's word is clear about when it comes to the character and the conduct of the person who he calls to lead. Now, while there's some sadness today with the Dean family moving, there's also some exciting things that we can rejoice over as well. Today, I get to recognize two men God has made it clear that he has his hand upon, is raising up in this church. And we as a church get to celebrate what God is doing with these men and what he's doing in his church. I've been praying for the past few years. Um, God has challenged me in this area. We've had other elders besides myself here in the past who have either moved away or stepped away for different reasons. And I've always kind of looked at Paul's um, word to Timothy where he tells him, don't lay hands hastily or partake in anyone's sin. And I'm just like, Lord, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to partake in someone else's sin. I don't want to lay hands hastily. And so it's, it's caused me to kind of like be very slow to act in this uh, realm of things. But I've prayed faithfully, not wanting to lay hands hastily, but knowing that the Lord wants other men to come alongside me and helping oversee his church here. And so one of the ways that God was challenging me in that was I I started meeting with a group of guys at the beginning of last year who I sensed God had his hand upon. Again, we have amazing men in this church. I I probably could have had all of you a part of that, but there was a few guys that I just felt like, okay, Lord, is one of these who you might be raising up in that way? And over the course of that year, God has made it clear to me, he's made it clear to these two men who he has uh, a calling upon to be elders alongside of me to help lead all of you. And today I wanna bring these two men up to recognize what the Lord's doing because that's the thing. We're just recognize, we're recognizing what God's already doing. Giving them a title doesn't change anything. We're just going, Lord, you've already done this. This is what you're doing. We just bear witness to it and we say, yes, Lord, we, we praise you and thank you for that. We pray, God, that your hand would be upon these men as they help shepherd this flock. And so I'm going to have both Josh Hughes and Julian DeGracia come up here. Yeah, you can clap.
You're like, should we clap yet? Do we wait till the end? I know, clapping can be a weird one. I get it. No condemnation in Christ Jesus for you. You guys come over. Yeah, you can come on this side. As long as they're in the camera. I want Josh, Josh's wife to see him. He's showing up. He's so tall, so that's a hard part. Can you squat down? <laughs> Let's get Josh a chair. <laughs> um, these guys have faithfully served and loved and been involved, and they've been included in this past year in praying and making decisions regarding the church. Um, and just, it's apparent to me. It's apparent to me that God has a, his hand upon your lives in this way. It's a privilege for me to get to serve Jesus' church alongside you both. And, um, and these men are a gift to us. You think about, we're going to get there in Ephesians, where Paul talks about when, when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to men. He talks about some of those gifts. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher. But in that realm of spiritual leadership gifts, there's a, there's a gift that Jesus is giving to the church to be a blessing to, to all of us. We don't go, oh, let's elevate them now. Look at this gift they are. But they are a gift. And so I, I am thankful for you both. And so... 1 Timothy chapter 3, just want to read this passage, verses 1 through 7. Paul says this, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, that's the word overseer, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so I just bear witness today that I see not only God's hand upon your life, I see these qualifications being met in you, and obviously there's always room for growth for all of us. <laughs> I, I'm not there, right? But you guys are men of integrity. You're men of character, you're, you're men who's God, who, had, who have God's hand upon your life. You're already leading. You're already an example to the flock. You're already among the flock in this sort of way. But today we just want to pray for these two men. I want to lay my hands on them. And just in ordaining both of you for eldership here at Calvary Chapel Walnut Creek along with myself. And so if you guys would join me in prayer for them. Lord, I thank you for both Josh Hughes and Julian DeGracia, Lord. Both these men have been a blessing in my life. They've been a blessing to our church. God, your hand has been upon them. Uh, Lord, just thinking even Julian and Mary were 
had their house on the market, Lord, and they were going to move to Texas, and God, you kept them here for a reason. Josh and Andrea moved at one point, and you brought them back, Lord. You have them here for a reason, and God, you have them, Lord, I believe, and I see God, and, and have uh, sensed your confirmation in this sort of way, and so have they, Lord, that you're calling them to be elders at this church. And so, God, I'm not doing anything special. We're not doing anything special, Lord. We're just recognizing what you're already doing. God, that you have made these men, you've raised them up in this sort of way. And so, Lord, by the power of the Spirit in your name, Lord, by, by the uh, biblical qualifications of your word, Lord, we just ordain these two men for the ministry of Jesus Christ, for the benefit of the church, for the shepherding of your flock. God, would you give them everything that they need, fill them with your spirit, anoint them with power from on high. God, use them. God, make them truly, Lord, they already are, but make them a gift, a blessing to our church. Give them everything that they need. Bless their families, their wives, their kids. Lord, would they flourish at home. And Lord, we just thank you for them. We commit them to you today. Lord, we just say thank you for your care for the household of God here at Calvary Chapel Walnut Creek in raising these men up, and we commit them to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Exciting for me. So, bask in that for a second. I am, let me get a drink of water here. So, now when we read 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, we're including Josh and Julian along with myself in Peter's exhortation to church. I, I didn't want to be alone in this. Like, I can't be the only one nailed. No, I'm just kidding. That's not why I did it. <laughs> Peter's exhortation to church elders. Peter has an exhortation. He has an encouragement, a call to action for church elders, reminding them, uh, reminding those of us that have been called in that role, that he's a fellow elder. So I love that even Peter wasn't above other elders. He's not like, I'm the chief one. Remember, guys, the first pope, because that wasn't the case. He wasn't. He was fallible, just an elder, an apostle, a servant of Jesus. He's going, look, guys, I'm just like you. This is for me as much as it is for any of you. He said, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ, a partaker also of the glory that will be revealed. And just a cool way for Peter to preface his exhortation to church elders. But look what he goes on to say in verses 2 and 3. He says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor is being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. The shepherd, that's the first part of the exhortation. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. And when we see this in light of verse 4, where Jesus is called the chief shepherd, we understand that the role of the church elder in shepherding is that the elder or pastor is not chief. Not chief. Not the head. I'm not the head of this church. 
That we're just serving as under-shepherds under our chief shepherd, Jesus. And this is sobering because as an elder, I'm serving under the watchful eye of my chief shepherd who I'm accountable to. But encouraging because ultimately the burden of responsibility falls on Jesus. He's in charge. It's his church. You're his people. The elders here and all of, all of you are his flock. We're still sheep. I don't stop being a sheep because I'm called to a specific role in the flock. But Jesus is the perfect shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, who knows how to love, feed, protect, guide, and nurture his sheep. But the exhortation for elders in Jesus' church is to shepherd God's flock, his people, really like Jesus would. The flock belongs to God, not the elders. The elders are not over God's flock, but among it. There's never, ever, 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 ever going to be any sort of green room pastoring at this church. Distant from the flock. Oh, there's that guy, and he comes up, and he preaches, and then he goes away, and we don't ever see him. Among, I heard a pastor years ago say that the shepherd should smell like the sheep. And man, we all stink, don't we? To varying degrees. Among the flock. In order for an elder in Jesus' church to tend to and care and feed and protect and lead Jesus' flock well, we have to be among the sheep, again, going back to God's care for his household. This is important. My calling as an elder, as a shepherd, as a pastor, is to shepherd like Jesus. Loving and tending to and feeding and protecting and leading and, and ultimately serving you all. You're not here to serve me. I'm here to serve you. And as I shepherd among you, I'm to oversee as an I'm to serve as an overseer. I'm to watch over, to be attentive to what's happening, to seeing needs, to watching for danger, both outside and inside the church, but also seeing who God has his hand upon, who he's wanting to raise up and and use and, and even send out. This is what elders are to do. Elders are to serve and watch over God's flock. But in verse 2, Peter gets to the motivation behind the serving. He does this by telling what an elder is not to do, how not to lead, and then following it with what an elder is supposed to do, how to lead. He says, not by compulsion, but willingly. So the service of the church elders is not to come from a feeling of being forced into it or obligated to do it but willingly because we want to serve God's people. There's nothing worse than when you go to a restaurant or you're somewhere where there's some sort of a service aspect of things and you can tell that that person hates their job. Like begrudgingly giving you your water and you of your food, you told them something was wrong, you got the wrong order and then they're just, they do one of these. And just take it, blank face, and then come back and just kind of set in front of you and don't say anything. You're like, wow, this is great. I really love this place. (laughs) 
not by compulsion, but willingly, a willing heart to serve. And then he says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So the service of the elders isn't to come from a greedy heart to want to make a profit of God's people, off of God's people, fleecing the flock of God, but eagerly out of a desire to serve God. You know, unfortunately, many have made their way into church leadership and pastoral ministry over the course of history with with bad motivation. And the result has been bad fruit, unhealthy ministries, and, and damaged sheep because of it. These are things that could be avoided if those desiring to become leaders in Jesus' church and senses calling upon their life in that way would just take these things to heart. And also, if church leadership held up God's word as the standard to gauge whether someone was qualified and had the right motivation before putting them into a position of spiritual leadership in Jesus' church, and not just because they're charismatic, people like them, they look cool, uh, because nowadays the gauge for like you know church leadership and qualifications is is very muddied. Not God's word. We're not going and looking at First Peter three, Titus one, First Peter five, Acts twenty. We're not looking at these different plays. We're not looking at the life of Jesus and going. We should have people that are in line with all of this. We're going. Ooh, you know what? I think this person would be great. Look at how charismatic and influential they are. Look at the kind of following that they have. God cares about different things than we care about oftentimes. He elevates different things than we often elevate. But, in verse 3, he finishes speaking into this area of motivation by saying, nor is being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, I'm fairly confident as Peter is writing these things here, that in the front of his mind, he's remembering something that Jesus said in the upper room after celebrating Passover with his disciples just hours before his arrest. And we find this account in Luke chapter 22. We're going to camp out here just for a minute. But Luke 22, verses 24 through 27, we're told, now, again, Last Supper, just hours away from Jesus' arrest, here's what's going on there. Now, there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, speaking of Jesus, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. In other words, look at how good you have it, because I'm leading you. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger And he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. Just picture Jesus saying that, like, who's greater, right? The one who sits at the table or he who sits or or he who serves? And the, the disciples going, yeah, we're pretty great. Look, we're all sitting here. Jesus, you're serving us. We're doing pretty good, right, Jesus? And Jesus is like, no, actually, that's not how it works. The one who serves. This whole night was focused up on Jesus, but we find the disciples putting the focus on themselves, arguing about which one of them 
was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And it just shows us, right? It's, it's sort of a revealing passage that when we give our lives to Jesus, the, desi- the desire for greatness doesn't just automatically go away. Just like these disciples, we want to be viewed by others as greater than we really are, more put together than we actually are. We'd rather be served than be the ones serving others. Without God humbling us, we can find ourselves thinking and acting as though we are greater than others. The rulers of that day, the Gentiles, exercised lordship. They dominated the people under them. And as they exercised authority, they'd say, look, you guys are better off with us leading. But Jesus says, not so among you. This was not to be how they conducted themselves. The kingdom of God doesn't work like the kingdoms of man. Leadership, influence, authority in the church of God is supposed to be different than so much of the godless leadership and influence and authority that we see prevalent in the corporate world and the, and the governmental structures of society. Elders in Jesus' church are called to be overseers, not to be overlords. We're to watch over the flock of God as those who are among the sheep, serving those in the household of God that he has entrusted into our care. But back to 1 Peter 5, as an elder, as a pastor, as an overseer in this church, I'm just a steward. A steward was a household slave entrusted with what belonged to their master. In other words, you're not mine. You're not mine. You're Jesus. I'm just a steward. I'm, I'm called to serve. I'm called to take care of. I'm, I'm called to show care and, and make sure that God's people are being ministered to in a way that honors Jesus. I'm just a fellow servant that's been entrusted with a certain level of of responsibility with those who belong to my master, Jesus. So I'm not to be a Lord over anyone. Nor is Josh, nor is Julian, nor any other elder the Lord raises up here in the future. But we are to be examples to everyone. We are to honor and represent our Lord in all that we say and do. We are to genuinely and passionately seek to imitate Jesus so that when you look at us, or you look to us, what you'll see is Jesus in us and want more of him. And really, there's application for all of us here with this. But finally, in verse 4, Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This last part of Peter's exhortation for the church leaders or elders is a is a mix of a warning and a call to action, but it's also a word of encouragement and comfort and hope. One day, the chief shepherd is going to appear, and he's going to hold me accountable for how I shepherded his flock, served his flock, watched over his flock, the kind of example that I was. And this motivates me to want to lead well, because I don't want to dishonor my shepherd. I I want to be faithful as an under-shepherd among his flock. But this also brings me great encouragement and comfort and hope, knowing that when he appears, he wants to reward me, but not just me, 
All of us. I love what the apostle wrote shortly before he was martyred for his faith in Christ. We find this in 2 Timothy 4 verse 8. Paul writing to Timothy there just shortly before he, his martyrdom. He said, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. All, all who love is appearing. Our chief shepherd, Jesus, is going to come again. He's going to appear again. His appearance in the clouds to rapture his church, according to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 55, and 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, is not wishful thinking, and it's not escapist mentality. It is our present confidence and it's our future reality as disciples of Jesus Christ. He is going to appear in the clouds. Our chief shepherd, our good shepherd Jesus is going to give us the crown of glory that does not fade away and we will be with him forever. We're thinking about the household of God and the care of God for his household and he's put these people in place to help shepherd, to help love, to help serve, to help lead, to help care for, to be stewards. And he's going, but hey, let's talk about this whole thing. Being a part of the household of God, you know what that means? A crown is awaiting us. A crown of glory. Glory is coming. We just finished our our one-year Bible reading just a week ago. And in the final passages of Revelation, we see some amazing things, right? A new heaven and a new earth. Where God specifically says, look, you know what's going to be true of that place? No more tears. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more death. There's not even going to be a son. You know why there's not going to be a son? Because God, the light of Jesus himself is going to shine so brightly, there's never going to be a need for any outside light source. He's everything that we need and we get to have him for all eternity. He's going to appear. And you know what's great about Jesus is not just the crown of glory he's gonna give. It's who he is. Chief shepherd. So when he looks out at all of us, and he's, again, kind of revisiting that kind of starting verse in Ephesians 2, and and he's going, look, you've been made members of the household of God. The one who's truly caring for all of us. The one who's involved. The one who David wrote about in in, in the Psalms saying, like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That same shepherd who leads us, right? Causes us to lay down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. The, the shepherd who restores our souls, the one who is with us in the valley of the shadow of death, whose rod and staff comforts us. The one who prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. 
and causes our cups to runneth over. The one who has goodness and mercy that's going to follow us all the days of our life and has promised us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This chief shepherd, this good shepherd is caring for us now. He's not just waiting for eternity like, hey, I'll show up. I'm going to appear. I've got the crown. It's going to get better. He's like, I'm here now. The valley of the shadow of death, now I'm there. I want to lead you now beside still waters. I want to restore your soul now. I want to cause your cup to run over now. I've got goodness and mercy now for you. And to know as we consider all of these things about God's care for his household this morning, that all these things point us ultimately to Jesus. That he's here, he's looking at us, he's walking with us. No matter if we feel like it or not, our feelings don't determine the reality of what Jesus has said. When Jesus has said, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, Jesus means what he says, and he says what he means, and he backs up what he says, and he makes good on what he says. And so no matter where we're at, maybe we feel like we, I'm in the household, but I'm kind of like I'm in that room that, you know, is forgotten, like it's in the back, and like, no, he, you are a full-fledged member of the household of God. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what your past was, no matter who you once were, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are a member of the family of God. And a crown of glory awaits. And he's with us now. And while there's some sadness today, again, seeing, having to say see you later to the, the Dean family who we're going to love and miss so, so much. There's also rejoicing today in the new things the Lord's doing here. Just a, we're just a small part of the greater household of God in the world. And, and to know that even in that, yet maybe, you know, for many here, except for like three of us, we're go, look, reading some of these things and we're like, well, that's not for me necessarily. But to know that God wants to use each and every one of us. Again, each of us has a sphere of influence. All of us have call, been called to lead others to Jesus. All of us have been called to lead, to, to serve and, and to point others to the Lord and be a blessing in other people's lives and, and to share the gospel. God is faithful. He has a plan. He's working. And I'm excited about what he's doing I'm excited about who he's raised up. I'm hopeful about what he's going to still yet do in the future. And guys, ultimately, regardless of what's going on in our world, Peter's reminding us, get your eyes on the chief shepherd. Know that greater things await in glory. We praise him for that. Another worship team come back up. Like I said, next week we're going to dig into our passage of Ephesians. Uh, expositionally, we'll look at those verses. But there's a day coming when Jesus is going to appear. For those who love him, those who have put their faith in him, 
those who are sheep in his flock or a part of his household, he has a crown waiting that won't fade away. Eternal life with him in glory that he's promised to us. Be encouraged, church. We see all this stuff going on in our world, and it can be easy to just have such a dark and hopeless sort of mindset. All there's so much bad news, constantly bad news, constantly some tragedy that's going on. We have hope in Jesus. We have hope, not just for the life to come, but even now, we have hope. But until that day we do get to see him in glory, guys, let me just remind us, there's work still to do. There's work still to do. Now's not the time to feel like, oh, I'm just, just waiting out. It's just getting worse. Like, get to work. If you need a little kick in the butt today, like, he's not done with you. If, you're, if you have a beat in your heart, he is not done with your life. He's not done in your circumstances. We might feel like it's bleak. He's still working, whether you see it or not. The Lord, help us to see things the way that you do. Help us to get on board with your mission and your commission, with your kingdom, with your gospel. And Lord, lead us, empower us, give us boldness in these days to be the salt and light that he's called us to be. Amen? Like whether you want to say amen or not, say it, you know, it's time. It's time, right? But like if you've come today and you've joined us and you're going like, Let's, this is all great but you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't have to be in that place of not in the household of God any longer. If you came in not a part of the household of God, not having put your faith in Jesus, not having surrendered your life to him, that can change. It can change in an instant. And it doesn't change because let me give you now the 10-step, 20-step, 100-step plan. It's one thing. It's humble yourself and invite Jesus into your life. Surrender your life to him. He's not looking for you to clean yourself up, to, to now be like fit to be a part of his household. Like I'm, I finally, I feel like I'm ready. I've done the right things and I've been making good. Like, no, that's not it. That's not getting you in. All those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if that's you, call upon his name this morning in faith, in surrender. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord God, we thank you for your household, your family, Lord, that you've made us a part of through faith in Jesus, Lord. None of us got to be a part of the family of God, the household of God, the church of God, because we, we were good enough. We did enough. We were righteous enough. We went to church enough. We prayed enough. We read our Bibles enough. By grace, we have been saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, or any of us would boast about it. Lord, you saved us because you're gracious. You saw that we didn't deserve it. And Lord, you saved us anyways. 
Jesus, you gave your life for us. You weren't just the good shepherd. You were the the sacrificial lamb upon the cross. You gave your life, Lord, so that we could live. We could get this crown of glory that won't fade away. We could have heaven to look forward to. And we can have you right now in our lives. Our good shepherd walking with us, Lord, through the good and bad. Lord, encourage your people today. Strengthen your people today. God, if any of us have gotten disillusioned with just the state of our world or the state of the church or things that we've seen in the past, things that we've experienced, God, would we just come back and see, Lord, your design, your care for the household of God. Lord, would we get on board with the things that you want us to be on board with? Lord, would we see that now's not the time to sit on the sidelines, Lord, but would would we be active, walking by faith, Lord, living out your commission, being disciple makers. Lord, we need your help. We need your grace. We need the power of your spirit to do that, Lord. We need boldness. Lord, we need help to overcome fear and timidity. God, use us individually, Lord. Use our church, Lord, here corporately for your kingdom, your glory, Lord. Use the elders of this church, God, to be a blessing to this flock, to watch over, to shepherd well, that this would be the best cared for flock in all the world. Not in a bragging way, but Lord, just your grace, your power at work. And Lord God, if there's anyone here that's never put their faith in you, Lord, would today be the day of salvation for them? I just encourage you, if that's you and you walked into this place, kind of like maybe you were brought here even by somebody else, and you're going, look, like, I want to know that I'm in the household of God. I want to know that this crown of glory is awaiting me. I, I want... Jesus' salvation. I want him in my life. I want my sins forgiven. Again, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Those who come to Jesus will never be put to shame. So if that's you this morning and you want to put your faith in Jesus, would you raise your hand and just say, that's me. It might be a bold move for you. It might be something out of your comfort zone. But just to say, that's me. I want Jesus to save me today. I want to know that I'm part of the household of God, the family of God today. I want to know that Jesus is my shepherd today, that the crown of glory awaits me. Anybody at all? Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we respond to your word in these songs of praise, Lord, would we just, God, be overwhelmed at the reality of who you are, of what you've done in us and for us. Lord, just filled with hope, Lord, about what you're still wanting to do, Lord, that you aren't done, that you are still working. And God, would you continue to minister to your people through this time, God, whether that's through the songs, the taking of communion, getting prayer in the corner of the room, Lord God, we just continue to commit this time to you, Father. We love you. We praise you, Lord, for what you're doing.
Jesus' name, amen. Guys, again, communion to my right. Come forward during these songs as the Lord leads you and take them back to your seat. Remember Jesus, right? We remember what he's done, his body broken, his blood shed for us. That prayer counselor is already in the corner of the room there. They love to pray for you. Let's just continue in this attitude of worship this morning. Love you guys.